Thanks. Open, open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to read there, beginning in verse 19. I want to just say a word about life groups. Uh, we'd love to help you get connected to a life group. There are classes online or in person. And if you want to help finding a class, you can either let us know by text to connect or you can uh, stop after the service at uh, Connection Point or the Welcome Center. We'll help you find a class. Those are our small group Bible studies. We just, man, they're so valuable to us, those small group Bible studies, learning more about God. And I wanted to mention as well that tomorrow is our day of prayer and fasting. And I'm asking you to go without a meal, if you're physically able to, to go without a meal, at least one meal tomorrow and spend time praying. Uh, we've got a list of things you can pray about. You can go to our website and you can go to events and sign up even if you'd like to join us in prayer. You can pray right in your home or wherever you may be. And, uh, but I want to ask you to pray and fast and we can pray for our church, for our nation, and for revival. Those are three good things to pray about, right? Some of you probably never fasted before and it'll make you hungry and you'll be rem- you'll, you will remember to pray if, when you're hungry, when you remember that's why you're hungry. And God will use this in your life, and we're praying God will use this in our, the life of our church and our nation. Those three things and other things we'll, we'll have on our uh, website for you to follow as well. Well, open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1, and we're going to read in a moment, beginning verse 19. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. We're talking about John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, this passage talks about him. Jesus said about John, he said, among those born of women, by the way, that's a big percentage, right? Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big thing to say. Among those born of women, high percentage, I'm telling you, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet, we're not told very much about John the Baptist in the pages of the Bible. Not a lot. And I think John would love that. I think John would love that. Because John wanted to make his life and his ministry about the Lord and not about himself. But he uses, God uses these words to teach us some lessons. So let's read John chapter 1. Let's read beginning with verse 19. The Bible says, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Well, let's learn some principles from this, and I'm going to encourage you to take notes, whether you're online or in person. Just take some notes, write these principles down. And uh, God gives us these words for a reason. God wants us to learn more about, this is not just something we're learning about John, but about us. God wants us to apply it to us. So let's note three principles together this morning. First, let's note, God made you unique. One thing I want you to learn from this passage is that God made you unique no one else in all the world is just like you. Now, we have a lot of similarities. The Bible says we're created, all of us, in the image of God. We have value. Your life matters. God cares about you. But we are all different. 
And God made it that way. And there is no one in all the world who can be you, no one in all the world who can take your place, no one who can be the person God wants you to be. Now, God wants you to be the best version of you that you can be, but God made you to be you. And no one else in all the world can be you. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. This was John's testimony, the Bible says. John's testimony. A testimony is where John is describing what he knows about the Lord. And while you might not know everything there is to know about theology or everything about the Bible, and by the way, for the rest of your life, you can learn more about God's Word and God's purpose and God's plan, but you can give a testimony of what God's done in your life. And if you know Christ as Savior, there's a power to your story. There's a power to your testimony. And God will use this in the lives of other people to help, you to un- to help them to understand what God has done in you and what God can do in them. You're not a perfect testimony, but you can give testimony to a perfect God who saves perfectly and changes perfectly. And here's the question in verse 19 that is asked of John that we might even ask of you. Who are you? They said, who are you? It's a great question, isn't it? There'd be a lot of answers. If someone asked you that question, all kinds of answers would come. Who are you? Some of you know that years ago, a guy showed up at our house. It was a it was a cool day, and it started to rain, you know, a little light sprinkle, just like earlier today, <laughs> a little light sprinkle. And this, uh, a guy came to our house when it started sprinkling, and he asked for help. His name was Sam, and we found out later he had um, escaped, I guess you'd say, from a memory care unit, and he didn't know anything about himself except his name. He didn't know where he lived. He didn't know the name of his daughter. He didn't know his last name. All he knew was his name was Sam. That was it. We helped Sam get back to the family and to where he was supposed to be. But I thought, my goodness, there are a lot of people like Sam in this world who just don't know who they are. They just don't know who they are. Maybe you know your last name. I hope you know your address. But you're like Sam. You don't really know who you are. And so John the Baptist has asked this question. Let's, let's note how he answers it. First, he, he, he tells who he isn't. And I want you to know who you aren't. If you're going to know yourself, it starts by knowing who you aren't. And so they said to him in verse 20, he didn't deny but confessed, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Can I tell you, if you want to know who you are, you're going to have to know who you aren't. And I want to tell you, this is important one. You probably ought to write this down. You aren't God. You ought to write this down. Your spouse or your future spouse is depending upon you learning this. Your children or your parents, they want you to know this. When your, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, they want you to know this important principle that you aren't God. I am not the Messiah, he said. I'm not the Word who created the world, that he's spoken Word. I'm not the Word who's God who became a man, who tabernacled among us and dwelt among us. You're not God. And if you want to understand theology, it starts by saying there is a God and you're not Him. There's a God and you're not Him. Otherwise, you're going to think like many think in our world, the whole world revolves around me. I mean, all that matters is what I feel, what I think, what I want, what I like, what I get, what I have. And listen, that is a common mentality, but it does so much. You will never understand who you are if that's the spirit that you bring to this place or to your life. And it starts by, if you want to know who you are, if you want to understand who you are, 
starts by understanding who you're not. And you are not God. And I'm telling you, some of you ought to write this down because it matters that much. And not only are you, aren't, are you not God, you aren't someone else. You aren't someone else. What then, they asked him, verse 21, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Now, he had the spirit of Elijah, Jesus would say. He had the attitude of the prophets, of course. But he was John. He wasn't Elijah. He was John. He wasn't the prophet. He was, he was John. And you are not anyone in all the world but you. You can learn from others. And I commend that to you. Let someone else make the mistakes, and you learn from them. That'd be a great strategy in life. But God did not make you to be anyone else in all the world. Learn from them. Learn from John. God puts John in the Bible here so we can learn from him. Learn from Elijah. Learn from the prophets of the Old Testament. And learn from the only perfect one, Jesus. But God did not make you anyone but you. God did not make you anyone but you. And you're not someone else. In fact, God doesn't want you to be someone else. God made you to be you. The best version of you. Don't see that as an excuse to just remain where you are. God wants you to change and repent and turn and learn and grow and deepen. But God made you to be you. And you're not God. And you're not someone else. So I said, know who you aren't. But you also need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. And John the Baptist had an idea of who God had made him to be. Let me just mention to you who you are without Christ and who you are with Christ. Who you are without Christ and who you are or without Christ and with Christ. So if you don't yet know Christ as Savior, we, we hope you'll give your life to Christ, repent of your sins, and trust Him as Savior. But if you don't know Christ as Savior, here's what the Bible says. Here's, I'll just mention a few things of who you are. You're created in God's image with great potential. Your life has value. That's why we value life so much, because People are created in the image of God, and you have great potential. Now, that potential has been marred by sin, the sins you've committed. You're broken, the sins of this broken world. Our world is broken. But you're created in God's image with great value. But the Bible also tells us that you are condemned by sin. Now, this is not me saying it. That's the Bible. You are condemned by sin. If you stood before the holy judge of the universe, you could give testimony if you were willing to self-incriminate that you're a sinner. And if not, I'm sure there are lots of people who could point that out to God if they needed to. But God in heaven certainly knows. And the Bible says you're condemned by sin. We would never want to say, God, I deserve your love and your grace. We deserve, may I respectfully say, we deserve to be separated from God in hell because we have sinned against God who is holy and we are condemned by that sin. That's why we need a Savior so deeply. We are lost and we need to be saved. We're condemned by sin. That's who you are without Christ. You are enslaved by sin. That's what the Bible says. Without Christ, you're enslaved by sin. Now you say, no, I'm an American, and we're not, I'm not a slave. What are you talking about, a slave? Slavery ended in our country long, long ago. I am not a slave. May I say, respectfully, the Bible says that sin's goal is not to give you freedom. That's how it markets. It says you're going to have a great time, get rid of that, all the old boundaries. And all the while, sin is wrapping the chains of bondage around you all the time. And the longer you live, if you'll, if you'll just note this carefully, you will see that the goal of sin is always your bondage. The enemy does not want your freedom. He wants your bondage. That's the goal of the enemy in your life. And the Bible says that's who you are without Christ. Well, who are you with Christ? I mean, if you give your life to Christ, you repent of your sins, 
you place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you, who are you with Christ, in Christ? Who are you? Well, the Bible says several things. The Bible says you're forgiven. Not just a little bit forgiven, but all the way plumb, as grandma used to say. All the way plumb. You're forgiven, absolutely. You're forgiven of every sin. God doesn't just like partly forgive and sort of forgive. He, said, he forgives absolutely. There is thou, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. You're forgiven. Some of you have been carrying around the baggage of your past unnecessarily. If you trust Christ as Savior, listen, outside of Christ you're condemned by sin, but when you are in Christ, you are forgiven. You are adopted. That's what the Bible says. You're adopted in Christ. God doesn't just like sort of know about you. He loves you. I've got adoption in my family. We love those grandchildren deeply. They're not just sort of afterthoughts in our family. They're a part of our family. God in heaven has adopted you in salvation. You're adopted into his family. You're his child. Even his discipline comes because he loves you. That's how deeply he, you matter to him. That's how much he loves you, adopted into his family. The Bible says you're set free. That's who you are in Christ. You're set free. Can I say, Christian, you do not have to stay in bondage to pornography. Although many in our culture are. And the enemy certainly wants you to live under that bondage. But Christ has the power to set you free. And you can fight this battle. And it is a battle worth fighting. And you don't have to live under the bondage of lust and pornography. You don't have to live under the bondage. You can be set free from anger. This is a boy, the fear that comes with our day and age also tends to breed anger. And maybe you've just responded in anger. You might come from a long series of anger. You know, your family, or they responded to circumstances with anger, and you do as well. And the Lord tells us we're set free by Jesus. We don't have to live with anger as the dominating response to difficulties in life. We can learn the love of the Lord. We are set free. The Lord gives us victory in the Lord Jesus. That's who you are. But like Sam, many people, even many who name the name of Christ, don't know who they are. They don't know their ultimate address. They don't know what God has done. And there's a second principle I'd like you to note. I said God made you unique, but secondly, would you note, God gave you a voice. God gave you a voice. Let's go to verse 22. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. We need more. What can you tell us about yourself? And in verse 23, here's how John answers. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. I'm a voice of one crying out of the wilderness. That's how he defined himself. Can I note a couple of things about how you're defined? First, you're defined by God's word to you. You're defined by God's word to you. John immediately, when he's asked, who are you? If you're not God and you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, who are you? What can we, what can we tell? What can you tell us about yourself? And he pointed to God's word. He went to the book of Isaiah. And he said, that's who I am. That's who I am. God's word defines me. You are not defined, Christian, you're not defined. You need not be defined by your failures. You need not be defined by your past. You need not be defined by your struggles. That's not how God defines you. But many in our culture are defined by their failures by their past, by their struggles. So years ago, long years ago, I was a youth minister when I was in seminary in Texas. 
And we were in a small town. And when you're in a small town and someone asks for directions, you don't use street names in a small town. You you just say you go to where so-and-so lives and you turn right. And then you go to where so-and-so lives and you turn left. And so a particular man was giving directions. And he said, you go uh, down that road. You know where that one guy, you know that guy who got that, he couldn't remember the name. So he said, you know that guy who got the girl pregnant? You know where he lives? I don't know the story there, I didn't, but eventually, here's what I found out. He was talking about a guy who had, who had gotten his girlfriend pregnant, and they got married. And by the way, the offspring, that child, was now a teenage boy in my youth group, for crying out loud. He was a teenager. And yet, this man was describing him by the mistakes, the failures, the past, from years before. Is that how God defines you? That's how the world wants to define you. You are defined by the, in the world's eyes by your mistakes, your failures, your past. You're just a, those are the kinds of things that make you who you are. But what does God say? What does God say? And we go to God's Word to find who we are. And we're defined not by, by our past, not by our struggles, not by our failures even, but what does God say? Secondly, would you note you're defined by God's purpose for you. You're defined by God's purpose for you. And would you note here, John says this, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's my job, he's saying. I am preparing people for the coming of the Lord. By the way, that's our responsibility, very similar. For those of us who name the name of Christ, we are, in fulfillment of God's great commission, we are preparing people for the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. That's what our job is. And so we're to go to all nations, Uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, instructing them. That's what we do. God wants us to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, in the wilderness of our culture, make straight the way of the Lord. We are pointing people to Jesus. We're defined by God's Word, and we're defined by God's purpose. Now, here's the analogy I want to use to get this, because this is so easy to sort of misunderstand. Our own Christian, sort of Christian culture affects us. Our, the culture, law, the non-Christian culture around this affects us. So it's the difference between being on a cruise ship and being on a fishing vessel, like a commercial fishing vessel. So if you ever go on a cruise, my wife, I took my wife on a, my wife on a, a cruise for an anniversary. And it's, I mean, it was amazing. It took you to exotic sites. And uh, they would, like, make the room up for you. They made our bed. We didn't have to make our own bed. They just would make it for us while we were out. They'd get us new, like, towels and stuff. They had food everywhere. You could get food anytime you wanted food. They had, like, different sorts of restaurants and different styles, and you could just go get food. They had ice cream dispensers. You would pull a handle down. I am not making this up. Ice cream comes pouring out as much as you want. In the middle of the night, if you wanted to, you could go into this place and pull down a lever and ice cream would pour out. In the days before COVID, what you could have done is put your head under it and just pull the lever and just don't do that, but you could. I mean, that's the kind of thing that they had. They had entertainment on the ship. You could see shows and such. And many people view the Christian faith like that. What's in it for me? Somebody needs to take care of me? Isn't that what the staff is for? They're the guys who are supposed to entertain me. And, you know, what, what do I like? What do I want? Somebody's supposed to take care of me? That's what the Christian faith is about. Somebody providing for me. 
But what if you were on a fishing vessel? I'm talking, you, maybe you've seen some of those shows. Those guys are fishing, and this is their job, this is their livelihood. There's nobody making any beds in that. They are working hard. They are getting ready. They're pulling in nets. They're throwing out chum or whatever they do. I mean, they are working hard, baiting hooks. I mean, they are prepared, getting nets in. It, they take it seriously. Everyone there has a job. Everyone there is working. They're not standing around. There's no ice cream dispensaries. They're all, they are working hard. Now, in, the, in much of modern Christianity, we have tended to see the Christian faith sort of like I'm on a cruise ship and I need to be entertained and um, someone needs to think about me and it's all about what I like or don't like and, and if things don't go like I like, I'll just complain about it. And, but what if the better analogy is that we're fishing for the souls of men and every one of us has a job? Or what if we're on a battleship and there's a war going on and God wants every one of us manning the guns and preparing the torpedoes. May I say, for many, it's a cruise ship mentality. Even for many who name the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's not the picture I get from John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't think he was on a cruise. He didn't think this was just a, about my pleasure or about feeling good or that God's main concern for me was just to make life comfortable, make life sort of easy for me. He saw himself as having a responsibility and so he was willing to sacrifice and he was willing to go to hard places and he was willing to do what was right even though it was difficulty and that's what mattered most. And may I say respectfully to you, God made you unique and God gave you a voice and no one else in all the world can be the voice God wants you to be. There's a third principle I want you to know. And that is God provided you a role. God provided you a role. Every one of us has a different role. We all have a different place. We all have a different role. While God gives us all the same message, we have very different responsibilities. We all have the same voice, but God made us very unique in our roles and our responsibilities. So let's note a couple of things here. Would you know, first of all, the Bible tells us you have a job. Verse 24 says it like this. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? Well, God gave you a job. You have a job. Did you know that? You have a job. Verse 24 and 25 and 26 tell us about the job John the Baptist has. John the Baptist is baptizing people as a sign of repentance. By the way, this is not what I'd call New Testament baptism yet, in the sense that Jesus has not yet died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He's not yet risen from the grave. This is the precursor. He is baptizing people as a sign of repentance for the preparation, the coming of the Lord Jesus. You might even remember that in the book of Acts, people who have been baptized by John as a sign of repentance have now, uh, on occasion, are baptized again as believers. We see them baptized by John as a sign of repentance. Then Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the grave. They give their life to Christ. They're born again by the power of Jesus, and they're baptized as believers. Let me just say a word about baptism as a believer, just to ask about this all the time. Here's how I, how I see the New Testament. Here's what I think the Bible teaches about what I'll call New Testament baptism. Three things. I believe it to be by immersion. 
That is, people actually go under the water. We believe that to be a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and what happens in our lives spiritually. We die to self. We are buried, our sins buried in Christ, and we are resurrected. We are born again by Jesus Christ. We believe it to be for believers. Actually, we baptize people who have professed that they trust Christ as Savior. We baptize them as believers. We believe they are saying to people, not what my parents did or didn't do, but what I have done in Christ. I'm saying in my baptism, I'm a follower of Jesus. We believe baptism to be a testimony. It's a symbol. It's not a sacrament. A sacrament is something that gives you grace. It's a symbol that you have received grace, that you have been born again by the power of Jesus Christ, and you're baptized as a testimony. There's that word again that we used in verse 19, John's testimony. Your testimony in baptism is to say, I've trusted Christ as Savior. So I ask you the question, do you need to be baptized? And if you do, we'd be honored to baptize you. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, we'll want to know that. We'll be honored to baptize you as a believer. There are probably many of you in this service and probably many watching online who need to be baptized. If you'll circle B on a, on a uh, connection card or email us, uh, if you're watching online, we'll schedule a time to talk to you about trusting Christ as Savior. And if you have done that, we'll schedule a time to baptize you. W- listen, John had a unique role. He was in the wilderness baptizing people as a sign of repentance. But you have a job as well. You have a job as well. Every single one of us who names the name of Christ have a job. We have a part to play. No one else in all the world can be who God made us to be. Secondly, would you know you have a focus? You have a focus. The Bible says it like this in verse 26. John said, I baptize with water. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. And John's life, the brief life that God gave him in this world, was all about Jesus and not about self. That doesn't sound very American, does it? Because very often, very easily, we make it about us. But John made it about Jesus. He said, I want to make him known. And he said, you don't know him. He's right here. You don't know him. There's, listen, may I say in our own culture, there are many churches all over, Bibles around, opportunities, but there are many who live in this culture, Jesus, the things of Jesus all around them, and they've, they've never known him. And God uses people like us to focus not on us. Listen, our church should never be about, uh, about our uh, leaders, about our life group teachers, as fine a people as they are. It's about Jesus, and we want to focus on him and give him glory and honor, and then Notice as well, the Bible says here, is teaching us you have a Lord. You have a Lord. And notice what the Bible says here in verse 27. I love how John says this. He is, he is the one coming after me whose sandal strap, now this sounds crazy to us, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. Doesn't that sound strange? Because we've somehow been led to believe by our culture and even sometimes even the Christian culture that, man, we are so spectacular and God is so very fortunate to have someone like us. When John, no, no one born of women greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said, and John said, on my own merit, I'm not worth, I'm not worthy to be allowed the privilege of getting down on my knees and loosening the sandal strap of Jesus. Now listen, I know in Christ you're more than conquerors. I know in Christ we're adopted into God's family. I know that in Christ we gain all the victories, all the, we're joint heirs with Jesus of all of God's promises. I'm saying on, a, on the basis of worthiness, John the Baptist is saying on the basis of worthiness, 
if John the Baptist is greatest among women, isn't that, I mean, born among women, that's just like a really big category, right? I mean, that's a high, high percentage. If John the Baptist, Jesus said, no greater person of all the people born of women greater than John the Baptist, if he said, I don't, I'm not worthy in my own merit to be able to loosen these sandal straps. How will we ever appreciate our adoption if we see, don't see how little we, we uh, deserve it? How will we ever appreciate the blessings if somehow we think God owes us something? This is God's grace. This is God's mercy. This is God's love. And John the Baptist is pointing out how he doesn't deserve not one bit of that. The story doesn't quite end there, does it? Because Jesus, the Word who became flesh, in the beginning he was with God and, in, and he was God. Everything that was created was created by him. God who tabernacled among us, who dwelt among us. Jesus, God who became a man who lived among us, would get on his knees and wash the feet of those disciples. If ever you think you're too big, too great to serve, you have missed who Jesus really is. And sometimes, listen, the Christian life is sometimes just about us who are unworthy, absolutely unworthy to be able to even loosen Jesus' strap. The strap to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to wash the feet of others. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not in this world to be served, but to serve. And not in this world just to get, but to give. And I'm going to love and I'm going to care like Jesus. And God has given you a role. And there's a towel and a basin with your name on it. And there's a job and a task that no one else in all the world is supposed to do except you. Don't miss God's best. Don't miss God's best. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we bow, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, could I ask you right now as you're watching online or right here in person, would, would, you, would you make the greatest transaction today? Would you say, Lord, I need to repent of my sin and trust you as Savior. I'm placing my faith in you. Would you give your life to Christ and he'll save you? Ask him to save you. Give your life to him. Place your faith in him. Christian, would you say, Lord, I don't want to be on the sidelines. Maybe some of you would say, too often I've seen Christianity like it's a cruise ship. I've, I've thought responsibility, that's for someone else. Would you have me on a fishing vessel? Lord, I'm, in a, I'm on a battleship. I've got a gun to man. Lord, would you, would you help me to see that you have me here for a purpose? You made me unique. No one else, no one else can be me. And I want to be the best me I can be. And you gave me a voice. I'm, I'm like John the Baptist, defined by what you say, by your word. And I want to use my voice to point people to who you are. And you've given me a role, a job, a focus, and a Lord. So Lord, I want to pick up my basin and towel, and I'm going to say yes to you. Father, thank you for the power of your word and the example of a man like John. Lord, I thank you you love us and care about us so much that you'll tell us the truth, even when it's so different than our culture would view things. Very easily we find ourselves defined by our culture instead of by your word, by our past, our mistakes, and our failures, instead of who you say we are in Christ. So would you use this to teach us, to guide us, to grow us, to strengthen us, to deepen us, and to point us to the life that you made us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.